spirit of division, strife, and the feeling that half the country just doesn't get it? Want more joy in your life, in the world? Then you might like to meet our first guest songwriter, Jackie Venson. Look, if things aren't good for you, and no matter what you do, it falls flat, maybe you need to figure out what you're doing. You know what I mean? You can't keep on, like, what's the common denominator here? We're all on this insane track where we're all like, oh, man, everything's terrible. Doom and gloom, doom and gloom, doom and gloom. It's like, maybe it's not doom and gloom. Maybe it's us. I'm Katie Bosler, and this is Active Voice, 49 Writers' podcast on how current events and issues are shaping the work and perspective of artists like Jackie Venson. We caught up with the Austin-based guitarist and vocalist on her latest visit to Southeast Alaska. Our conversation began with how her manager came up with the title of her latest album, released in 2019. And he's like, I think your next record should be called Joy. And I was like, why? (laughs) Where's that coming from? It's like, well, because every time I come to your show, which is all the time because I'm your manager, people come up to me and, you know, sometimes he sells merch. People come up to him and, he, and they're like, wow, she's just so joyful on stage. There's just so much joy coming from the stage. You can just see it in her face and her eyes. And, and are you feeling joyful every moment you're on stage? Well, yeah, because I don't have to worry about anything but being on stage. You know what I mean? When I'm off stage, I have to worry about everything. It's like, oh, no, did we get to the grocery store before it closed? Oh, no, I got to lose 10 pounds. Oh, no, like I got to, but, you know, like every, you know, what I mean? you live a life, you get it. Like yeah. when you're just out in the world, it's like everything, especially like, you know, they always make fun of women for having like information, super highway brains where we think about like 15 or 20 things all at the same time. Yep. Yeah. So there's that too. You know, if you're, if you're a girl or if you're a woman or whatever, you understand, you know, like there's just always something wrong or something that you need to fix or something that you need to work on or something that you need to get better at. Right. You got to clean your house. And as soon as you clean your house, oh, you got to clean your car. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's never ending. It's never ending. When I'm on stage, there's only one thing, right? And, you know, most of the time when I'm on stage, I'm getting paid to be on stage. So that means I'm getting paid to do a job. And so it is my responsibility to only focus on the thing that I've been put there to do. And so because I'm only focusing on that and doing a good job, literally nothing else is in my head. Like something could have happened right before the show. And like something really bad even. And as soon as the show starts, well, I'll get back to that later. And and how about your music, um, your lyrics? Is it a response to what's happening in the world or personal downtimes or uptimes? Oh, it's it's all over the place. It's um, It can be a response to what's happening in the world, but only if it really affected me. You know, I'm not just going to write a song about something that didn't make me feel anything because there's always something – that's happening in the world that's crazy, right? We live in a very large world. <laughs> so there's always something to talk about. There's always something mm-hmm. to be sad about, right? But some things stick out and affect you a little bit more than other things. There are some things that happen in the world where I'm just like, well, that's just life. And then there are some things that happen in the world that I'm like, wow, that's really bad. You know what I mean? And it seems and like there's been... that's stirs yeah. me to yeah. write about it. And then mm-hmm. sometimes I'm writing about just my own personal experiences. And sometimes I'm just writing about my observations on how people are. And so what triggers a song for you? A melody or some kind of beat. Lately that I've been working with the drum machines, the beat will start the song. So I'll come up with a beat that I've always wanted to write. I've always wanted a song with this beat, right? So I'll just like loop that beat that I want 
and then I'll come up with chords that go well with that beat that hopefully haven't been written before over that beat. The music comes first. Oh, yeah. The beat. The music definitely comes first. And sometimes I'll start off with a hook line, like Joy, for example. So he tells me, you should write a record called Joy. I agreed it was a great idea. But I'm like, well, it'd be pretty weird to have a record called Joy without a song on it called Joy. the record is like the title of one of the songs sometimes people can get away with like having just a totally different title on the record but i felt like i should have a song called joy so in that instance the word helped me kind of find the music but that very rarely happens usually that's an outside influence like the very few times that somebody gives Mm -hmm. me a good Mm -hmm. idea then i'll write a song around that idea but that doesn't happen very often usually the music comes first and is the song itself, Joy, about overcoming something of sorrow and, and the feeling joy? It's about accepting that life is hard sometimes and not letting it affect the overall big picture that we should all be grateful to be alive. For the most part, I've had days like that, but most of the days, if I look at, if I zoom all the way out on my whole life, most days I'm busy doing something or hanging out with people or seeing people or getting excited about mm-hmm. something. And every now and then I have bad days peppered in, but it's uh, sometimes it's really hard for people to see the big picture. And uh, yes. joy is about just seeing overall. It's like, okay, yeah, these things that are happening to you right now are really bad, but there's got to be something happening in your life that you can be happy about. And how about what's happening to the world? Because I think a lot of people could use more joy in their lives because there's a lot of really Bad things. For example, in Texas, just, yeah. just the, the shootings. Oh, yeah. Just, Epidemic of terrorism, of domestic terrorism in America. Yeah, it's horrifying. It like makes me look over my shoulder like every other day. <laughs> you know, like I'm, yeah. in a, I'm in a crowd of more than 50 and I'm like, OK, where are the exits? Right. It's, it's really sad that I have to think like that. But if you zoom out, there's always something that's going to be hard about the time period that you're living in. So we have a lot of problems these days. Right. We have a. We have a lot of division in our in our country. We have the terrorism has kind of upped in severity because we have certain weapons available to us. We'd have certain regulations that aren't being put into place. Mm-hmm. seems like everything is just real wacky and everyone's divided on it. And nobody can sit down and have a logical conversation about how we want this to go away. We all want it to go away, but we, for some reason, can't come together and have a logical conversation about it without mm-hmm. people just screaming at each other mm-hmm. and being polarized, polarized and without, like, people trying to just do stuff to support their narrative and to say that they're right instead of just mm-hmm. being out for the greater good, mm-hmm. right? People are just trying to be right and, and on top instead of be there for the greater good. That's what I've seen. And it's really sad. But if I'm going to zoom out, I wouldn't want to live in any other time period. Really? As a black woman? You couldn't pay me to live in 1969. You kidding me? Heck no. (laughs) I wouldn't, if I'm going to zoom out, look at all the progress we've made, you know, in other areas. You couldn't pay me to come up in the time period that my grandma came up in. You couldn't pay me. I would have to go through different entrances. I'd have to go to the back door and drink out of a different water fountain if I lived when my grandma lived. I wouldn't be able to make a full living playing the guitar and singing. I would be able to, maybe, if I had the correct support system. But 
it's just all the stuff I do in my life, even living in this crazy time period where I have to look over my shoulder, all this stuff I do, probably a good 60% of it wouldn't have been possible in 1948. And also, if you, if you talk to, even if you're not a black woman, you talk to a man, do you think they're going to want to live in a time where they're going to be drafted for the Vietnam War? Like, there was bad stuff happening every other time besides this time. I just feel blessed that we've all kind of learned how to live through it and that we're all slowly learning how to talk through it and that we will mm-hmm. slowly learn how to improve it. And speaking of, of slowly learning, one perspective is, all this crap has always been here and it's still here and it's still in our face. It's just changing forms, you know. <laughs> I feel personally though, I, I feel like a lot of people have a, little, have a lot more freedom now than they did maybe 60 years ago. Still feel that yeah. way. Even though it doesn't seem that way, I do feel that way. Just from what I see in my life. I'm not talking about what I see on the news or what I read talking about like when I go to the grocery store and I look around or when I travel around and tour and I look around, I see more diversity. I see more people doing what they want to do. I see more people using like the tools and technology we have to make their own little niche career. I don't think that was very easy to do, you know, 50 years ago. The the stuff that the internet has awarded us is just unreal. The fact that we can talk to people anywhere on the planet at any time. You know, there's so many things about today that I would never want to trade. And with all this strife and really hard times, people are more aware. They're people more, are more aware, aware of diversity. Yeah. And, oh, whoa. Maybe uh, people do have different experiences. May- yeah. Maybe I should consider that maybe this person is just different because they came up differently than me. We've been taught more to think that way now than people were taught, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Sure. So it's like mm-hmm. there's more freedom. And actually, I think that the, a lot of the problems we have, it's like a kind of a double-edged sword. We have more freedom, but then we also have like more freedom to do bad stuff too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Bigger yeah. world, bigger population, harder to take care of more mm-hmm. people, harder to make sure everybody's okay. And you how, know? how old are you, Jackie? 29. 29. Okay. So do you feel like your perspective is reflecting your generation or can you even I don't know. I don't know if we can. I travel more than than the average 29-year-old just because of what my job does or what my job requires, I mean. I travel more and so I see more. And so a lot of the things that I'm saying, other people my age might not agree because they haven't seen it. You know what I mean? They haven't gone to a bunch of different cities Mm -hmm. or states or countries Mm -hmm. and they haven't seen kind of like the overlying pattern. It's it's really hard to zoom Mm -hmm. out if you don't zoom out. You know what I mean? Yes. The way I'm able to zoom out is is I'm able to go and exist in all these different communities. Mm-hmm. Like I'm able to exist in Gustavus for a few days and Juno for a few days and Berlin for a few days. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm able mm-hmm. to exist in these communities and just observe the people, right, and kind of feel the energy. And tell me about the differences in that energy, say, between Berlin and Gustavus, for example. <laughs> well, the thing – the biggest difference between – Berlin and Gustavus is that um, in Gustavus, people are more connected to each other because there are less people. In Berlin, there's like, you know, I don't know, at least two million people, probably more like eight. Pretty sure Berlin's huge. Several million people in Berlin. I don't know the exact population. And so what ends up happening is that there's just like a billion different Gustavuses within Berlin. You know what I mean? (laughs) So everybody in Gustavus knows each other. Everybody Mm -hmm. who lives there full time Mm -hmm. knows each other. 
that so it's about what between three mm-hmm. and four hundred mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. and um, just like the human brain at all together, you're able to keep track of that many people. But once you start getting more than you know a thousand people, more than two thousand people, then it's just not within our capacity to be able to keep up with that many people as singular people. You know what I mean? There you go. Yeah. So yeah. like. What's yeah. going on? The human is, scale, as my dad would call yeah, it. Yeah, the human scale. It's just really mm-hmm. hard to keep track of people once you get. Well, it's over like the neighborhoods in New York City. Well, yeah. even the neighborhoods are divided into a thousand different Gustavuses. You only have so much time to take care of other people. So mm-hmm. Gustavus is really cool because they all have time to be there for each other because mm-hmm. there's a manageable amount of people in Gustavus, mm-hmm. right? But in Brooklyn, there's Brooklyn alone. There's two million people. Literally, it's like bigger than Austin. Brooklyn is. Brooklyn has its own downtown now. Did you know that? Skyscrapers and everything. You think you're looking at New York City. You're looking at downtown Brooklyn. Within Brooklyn, there's neighborhoods. There's neighborhoods within Brooklyn, and then there's blocks within those neighborhoods. And so what I've noticed is that the bigger the city, the more like tiny little pockets kind of clump together. And they know their block, and they know their block, and that person knows their block. And so even the neighborhoods get too big. And uh, – it's been an interesting thing to observe. I, I noticed the so bigger people, the population, the mm-hmm. harder it is to address all the problems. And maybe that's where we're at with social media, with the downside of social media. With the downside of social media, it's like the problems that India has as a nation. I think a lot of them are because of how big the population is. It's just really hard to take care of that many people. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to get, like, let's say there's only 100 people in office or 1,000 people in office. How are you going to get 1,000 people to take care of a billion people? There's literally a billion people in India. There's 8 million people in the New York metro area. And so it's like, yeah. how can you take care of that many people? How can you make sure that they are all getting what they all need? That's the problem yeah. we have right now as a species. Yeah. And we'll figure it out. We figured everything else out. We'll either figure it out or the earth will kill us. One of the two. That's pretty much where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's but, like and, and one how the about other. the energies of, of audiences in the lower 48? Like, can, have you drawn any conclusions between east and west, north and south? That's actually the reason why I'm saying, like, the things that affect communities are not because of the people. The things yes. are because of the condition. There the people know. are all the same. Like, everybody loves music. The, the venues all have the same, you know, equipment. Everybody responds the same no matter what languages they speak and no matter how they grew up. It could be a third world country. It could be a first world country. They all know how to dance the same way. The thing is, is that... Well, some dance better than others. Yeah, some. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) People in in Cuba are probably going to upstage the people in Charlotte, North Carolina. No offense. (laughs) I think the Cubans are pretty great dancers, but Mm -hmm. I'd love to go to Cuba, by the way. But I digress. So what I'm saying is people are people no matter where you go. The difference between the places, the difference between Gustavus and Berlin and Austin are the conditions, Mm -hmm. the circumstances. Mm -hmm. What do those people have to deal with? It's like mm -hmm. I think it's a really complex way to combat discrimination. People build stereotypes on populations of people. Sure. And I'm Mm -hmm. interested in stereotypes not because I think that those people are that way. I'm like, okay, what are the conditions under which those people are living? What do they have to do to be able to live a decent life to be human under be- those to feel conditions? Like human beings. Under yeah. those conditions, right? And how does being in Austin, growing up in Austin, in your family, how have those things framed your perspective? Well, growing up in Austin, the biggest thing it's done for me, because everything else about it is just a city, you know. The biggest thing Austin has done for me is shown me that you can make a living playing music. That is one thing that I think maybe no other town could have shown me, the way that Austin does. Austin, it's like other towns are like, yeah, you can make a living, 
but they don't tell you that you have to play in wedding bands and that you have to like 50% do what you want to do and 50% cater to the people with the deep pockets, right? (laughs) And that's how it is in most other music towns I've been to in the world. In Austin, you can just build your own following. You can play your own music. You can get your own people to follow you. You can find a tribe and they'll support you. And I haven't seen that in other towns. I've seen a music scene in other towns. I haven't seen like this tribal music scene like Austin. Like mm-hmm. Austin has its mm-hmm. own music awards. Mm-hmm. Austin has its own like everything to where it matters in Austin. But when you leave Austin, people are like, Austin, what? What music awards? But in Austin, it's a big deal. You'll get a free meal if you win an Austin music award in Austin. <laughs> Roll into a restaurant, be like, look what I did. They're like, oh, sweet. You know, they'll take your picture, put it on the wall. So it's kind of like a big, small town. It's a, it's like a big, small country. <laughs> it's like its own ecosystem. Well, it it's sounds crazy. like you have a lot of love for your hometown. I do because it's – I don't think that I could have ever made a living just being myself. You can do that in Austin. You just mm-hmm. got to play the right gigs and meet the right people. How long have you known that you were destined for being a musician in this career? Well, I knew that I was not going to be happy doing anything else by the time I was 16. By the time I was 16, I was like, I'm either going to be one of those people who just works a job that I hate or I'm going to figure this out. (laughs) That's it. I knew that at 16. I didn't know how I was going to figure it out at 16. I still had like another five, six years of what the heck. (laughs) A lot of trial and errors left before I actually did figure it out. But I did know that I was either going to be someone who hated my job or do music. When did you start playing music? When I was eight started playing the piano. My mom got me into it, and then I actually fell in love with it. She was like, everybody was surprised. Usually you force your kid into piano lessons, and they beg you to quit like six months later, right? <laughs> so you spent most of your childhood playing the piano. Yeah, I spent well, all, most of my childhood and all of my teenage years playing the piano, and then I went to college for the piano. And then the day that I got back from college, I quit the piano and picked up the guitar. So you got your degree from Berkeley and in- With piano as my principal instrument, yes. <laughs> Basically, a really, really expensive college education on the piano, and then I just dropped it all as soon as I came home. So did you spend your time at Berkeley just kind of wanting to be a guitar player? How did it happen? No. The the idea to become a guitar player came to me in March of 2011, and I graduated in May of 2011. So I got – the idea came from uh, – I was trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do when I got home. It was like I get back to school, right? <laughs> And I go to my first class and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm going to be like home, home, like no more school in like three months. Like I'm going to have to be like, get a job in three months. Like, oh my God, I had like this panic attack. Called up my dad. I'm like, dad, what can I do? He's like, well, you can, uh, you could just like maybe go do a vocational thing. I'm like, no, dad, what can I do in music? He's like, oh, well, you can be in a wedding band. I could get you some gigs out at the winery. You could host karaoke. He's like, there's a lot of ways you can make money. If you... He was like just listing all these ways I could just piece an income together, which actually was really useful. While I was trying to learn how to play the guitar, while I was trying to really figure out who I was, at least I had some cash flow. It was only like a few days a week I had to host karaoke, and I'm making like, I don't know, maybe 600 bucks a week, which is pretty great. It's mm-hmm. enough for rent. You know, mm-hmm. like... Mm-hmm. So he just he basically gave me all these ways to kind of piece an income together, hustling, right? And then in that hustle, kind of the ideas came together. I was playing the guitar. I was taking lessons. And then I realized, I was like, you know, I could do all this hustling until I get to a place where I'm worth a damn on the guitar. 
And uh, that's what I did. It wasn't like, I'm going to get home and I'm going to host karaoke and I'm going to learn how to play the guitar and then I'm going to be a rock star. It wasn't like that. It was well, like. Well, was it a, a, a aha or watershed moment when you're playing guitar and you just kind of went. Yes. It was when I was driving home from my first jam. So I had been hosting karaoke for a year and a half. I'm so proud of myself. I only, I only lived with my mom for seven months before I moved out. And I, I had my first karaoke job and I was like, all right, mom, I'm moving out. <laughs> <laughs> So I moved out and I was just like hustling, trying to pitch my karaoke act to a bunch of bars around town. And I was practicing guitar because I knew I wanted to learn how to play the guitar so that I could learn how to write different songs. That was where I was at. About a year and a half later, I was pretty okay at it. And my dad told me, I called my dad. I was like, Dad, I feel like I plateaued. I feel like I could be good at this instrument, but I'm like at a wall and I don't know how to get around it. And he's like, oh, well, you need to start playing with other people. He's like, you've been playing in your house, practicing scales for a year and a half. You don't so, have so any, your dad's a musician? Oh, yes. He plays the bass and he sings. He's like, you don't have any practical skills right now. You just have like theoretical skills. He's like, you know the scales, but you don't know how to use them. So he's like, you need to start going to jams. So I went to this jam at this place in Austin, Texas called the Victory Grill. And I played my first guitar solo in front of people ever. And people clapped really loud, like unbelievably loud. I was like, it wasn't that good. <laughs> it was like, I don't agree with how loud you're clapping. So this but would I have been what year? This is 2012. And I'm like, okay. So then I'm just driving home and I'm like, they were like clapping at the guitar solo. That was crazy. Wait a minute. What if I like become known for guitar solos? It was just like a thought that came from like how weirded out I was by how mm-hmm pumped they were over this first guitar solo i'd ever played it was in the key of c i do remember that and that, <laughs> and that the trajectory uh, started there yeah it was just like the enthusiasm mm-hmm. of them and it led to this idea to where it was like well maybe they clapped that loud because it was really entertaining maybe it was exciting for them not mm-hmm. because i was the best guitar player they've ever heard but maybe for some reason they were mm-hmm. like excited And I'm like, if I can make people feel excited at a show, that's like the Mm -hmm. definition of a performer, Mm -hmm. making people be like, you know, like whenever James Brown would dance, people were like, "Ah!" yeah, if I can make people feel excited over something, I might as well chase that something. That was the turning point. I was like, okay, screw this whole learning how to write new types of songs. I'm going to become a shredder. (laughs) Well, we have a we have a few minutes left and I I do want to get back to the songs a little bit. Your song Rise Up. Now that sounds like something of an anthem as far as positivity. All rise, yes. All rise. All rise. Yes. All rise. No yeah, tell me about that song. All rise. That song. That song's about accountability. That song's about you can't keep doing the same stuff and expecting different results. That song is about the definition of insanity. We never seem to Like, what's the common denominator here? We're all on this insane track where we're all like, oh, man, everything's terrible. The doom and gloom, doom and gloom, doom and gloom. It's like, maybe it's not doom and gloom. Maybe it's us. You know? Really? Maybe it's the way we think. Maybe mm-hmm. it's the way we think about each other. Maybe it's the way we kind of manifest that. Negativity, I feel like negativity is manifested. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's just there. I think you have to find it. Mm-hmm. I saw this thing where it's like when life gives you lemons. 
mm-hmm. make lemonade. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody commented and said, you know, lemons are actually kind of a human creation. They're not like the way they are now. Cause they've been genetically modified to be like the way they are. Without us, lemons would not be the same. <laughs> and, and then somebody else commented yeah, on that yeah. and they were like, wait a minute. So you're telling yeah. me that that we created our own lemons? Yes, that's the point. The point is, is like we create our own lemons. <laughs> it seems like you have some really very self-assured perspectives, positive perspectives on things, both for yourself and the big picture. Yeah, it's the only ha- way to stay alive. Do you feel like you've been like this your whole life or did you go through a, an experience or a transition at some point where that you came to this, these realizations? I was just really, really unhappy in high school and I was even more unhappy in college. And I didn't know why. And I realized it was the people I was surrounding myself with. And it was the thoughts I was allowing myself to think. And as soon as I surrounded myself with people who thought higher thoughts, higher in positivity, Mm -hmm. higher in frequency. Mm -hmm. And when I started kind of just realizing that if you just choose to see things differently, then things can be different. I realized Mm -hmm. that overall I'll be happier. And I was just so tired of not being happy. I was so tired of it. And as soon as I realized that I wasn't happy, I just started to pay attention to the things in my life, pay attention to the things I was eating, pay attention to the people I was around, pay attention to the things that I was watching and listening to. And it's like, it's almost like changing a channel. This was like probably my second year in college that I was realizing this. Okay. And I think it was part of the reason why I decided to switch to a different instrument. I just wanted, mm-hmm. I wanted to change things up. I wanted to stir the pot. Whatever I had in the pot at the time wasn't working for me because I was unhappy and I had been unhappy for like Mm -hmm. six or seven years. I'm like, whatever I'm doing right now isn't working because then I would be happy. Yeah. And so I just started really taking a hard look at myself and the people around Mm -hmm. me and the things that I chose to consume, both food and information and entertainment. And I just started kind of making little adjustments. I'm like, I don't need to hang out with that person anymore. All they do is talk Mm -hmm. about how bad the world is and drink. That's all they do. Maybe I don't need to be around that person. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You just start kind of making little adjustments. You're like, "Ah, I don't need to do that anymore. Ah, I don't need that person anymore. Maybe I shouldn't eat that anymore. Maybe I shouldn't drink anymore. Maybe I shouldn't, you know, just start really looking at all the stuff Mm -hmm. in your life. There's a million TV screens, like change the channel on the screens that aren't ideal. And it's not rocket science. It's just like, oh, yeah, look this way instead of that way. Yeah, exactly. Well, the key is, is really zooming out and also putting your pride aside Mm -hmm. and really seeing things for what they really are, not for Mm -hmm. the way that you want to see them or for the way that supports your narrative. Like, see it like it's just objectively on a piece of paper. I feel like anybody who does that, they can figure out, because it's going to be different for everybody. And, you know, I'm not going to tell somebody, you're depressed, maybe you should learn how to play the guitar. That's what I did. It worked for me. It's like, no, that's what I did, because that's what worked for me in my life and what, ha- what I saw when I saw right. my big picture. Whatever you see in your big picture, mm-hmm. there's things you can spot and just change one by one well you have a line in one of your songs see you in the next life yeah that i've been around a thousand times something like that yeah i mean do, i've do been you, born a thousand times yes <laughs> that's the that's kind of like a cheeky way to say people told me i've uh, had i have an old soul <laughs> okay so people do you, do you feel that, that so. yourself i feel like reincarnation is a really fun concept and i love believing in it but there is no way to prove it <laughs> I love believing in reincarnation. And in some ways, it makes sense to me. So I choose to believe in it. I mean, it's one of those things that you just can't prove. (laughs) So it's kind of cosmic. Well, uh, Jackie, what's the next step for you? I just got to keep making music that keeps my frequencies vibrating on a high frequency. You know, I like to vibrate at a high frequency. I like to surround myself and share it with other people and maybe get them vibrating on a high frequency. I think there was a line, uh, oh, fight. Fight is not on the new record, but there's a line, uh, 
change the world, you first must change yourself, raise the vibration of someone else. Jackie Benson, thank you so much for ending on that note, <laughs> on a so note. to speak. Yes, <laughs> pun intended. Over again, over again. We never seem to learn. Thanks to Jackie Venson for being our first guest singer-songwriter on the Active Voice podcast, an audio forum from 49 Writers on the role of writers in these challenging times for artists and truth-tellers. The views expressed on Active Voice are not necessarily those of 49 Writers. Learn more about Jackie Venson and hear her music at JackieVenson.com. Listen and subscribe to the Active Voice podcast on Apple, Spotify, Simplecast, or 49writers.org.